You're listening to episode 59 of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast. Hello and welcome back. It's Christina Anderson, your pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, and gymnastics expert. And we are actually over one year of this podcast. We have been producing weekly episodes since... I guess, July of 2022. And so with this being episode 59, I just realized, wow, we have surpassed the one year mark, which I think they say that most podcasts don't get past maybe the first couple episodes. And I can understand why, you know, I love doing this podcast for, for you all, but it's definitely a passion project. I'm often um, recording episodes on the weekends just because I don't have enough time during the week with client sessions and our program sessions. And then Um, Some of you know this, but some don't. I've actually been dealing with a voice condition um, since about 2021, honestly, probably from (laughs) Zoom and how much talking I do. So I have to really be cautious with how many client sessions I have in a day. Um, If I have a lot of client sessions, normally my voice is too tired to record podcasts. So all that to say, I am really proud of us (laughs) for sticking to it. And I hope that you find this valuable because Um, This is a free resource that we put out. I don't run any ads um, because I think they're annoying on a podcast. And if you would do me a favor, you know, go give us some, some love on iTunes. That is a great way to help spread the word about the podcast. I'd love it if you would share it with some fellow parents at the gym, because I know that there's at least a handful of episodes, if not more, that could be massively helpful for you, your gymnast, and fellow gymnast parents, as well as coaches. So with that, and to kind of celebrate one year, I want to have another kind of coffee chat with you, right? Like if we were sitting across from each other, just talking about nutrition and philosophy and our gymnasts and what we can do to keep them healthy and to prevent burnout and to help them reach their big goals and dreams, obviously for me, it's nutrition, right? Like that is the number one most controllable factor, specifically doing everything we can as parents, as medical providers to prevent underfueling, aka low energy availability and REDS or relative energy deficiency in sport. So if you haven't come back and listened to episode four, all about REDS or relative energy deficiency in sport, um, I highly recommend. I know that episode has like over a thousand downloads. I point people to it all the time because it's just a really great kind of foundational episode on what I'm talking about. And I know I throw out these words all the time about unintentional underfueling and your gymnast needs to be fueled adequately, but you know, what does that really mean? And and why does it matter? Because I think at first glance, people think that I'm just like pushing food on gymnasts, that I'm just trying to get gymnasts to eat a ton. And it's like, no, it's, it's not that at all. Like I'm just trying to get your gymnast to eat enough to support her body and what she's doing and whatever that looks like, right. Whether your kid is training 10 hours a week or 30 hours a week. So last episode, episode 58, I shared with you, you know, why gymnasts don't want to eat enough to support their training. Because I think, you know, if you've been in my world for a while, you know that this is a huge problem. And once parents become aware of how rampant underfueling is and the devastating consequences that can result from it, most realize their gymnast isn't eating enough. But then, you know, having that knowledge is one thing. 
getting your gymnast to eat enough is a whole other issue. And often it can create a ton of frustration and friction between parent and gymnast. You know, as a parent that they're not eating enough, you know, that it's important. You try to get them to eat more and they just say that they aren't hungry. They're full. They don't want to eat more. And so then you just get frustrated and maybe decide to not think about nutrition. So in this episode, in episode 58, we talked about kind of the three main reasons that gymnasts don't want to eat enough. And number one, it's appetite issues. And there's a lot of reasons, which I won't get into here. You can go back and listen to that episode. But number two is also just a misunderstanding and often guilt around eating when not you know, perfectly hungry. And a lot of that just has to do with what we're taught as parents to teach our gymnasts and teach our children in terms of feeding and eating, which is not wrong. But we have a whole different animal to deal with when your gymnast is training 20 or 30 hours a week. So some of the stuff that you were maybe taught when you were feeding your toddler and they were in preschool and elementary school, the same advice is just not necessarily appropriate in the context of training 20 to 30 plus hours a week. The third reason that gymnasts don't often want to eat enough is actually because there's some sort of food and body concern going on. And I know that that's scary to talk about. And I know that I've been promising you an episode all on disordered eating and eating disorders, but I will say that we know that kids are getting concerned about their body, about their weight, about their appearance at very, very young ages. Like even preschool ages, you know, we're seeing um, issues in this area. And again, a discussion for another day as to why. But all that to say, I think there's a lot that you can do as a parent. And that's really the title of today. And that is that nutrition is a controllable. And I want to kind of pose this question to you. Would you let your gymnast drive at 16 years old when she gets her license if she refused to wear a seatbelt? The answer is no. Of course not, right? In this day and age, we know that seatbelts save lives. There is a reason that seatbelts are in cars. Your gymnast is young enough that, you know, not having a seatbelt on probably wasn't even a question in their mind versus when I was a kid, um, kids still, you know, people still didn't always wear a seatbelt. And I remember getting so mad at my parents because, you know, even if we were just driving around the neighborhood or whatever, they told my sister and I, you know, we always had to wear our seatbelts. And I think there's a lot of things that, you know, we had like that growing up where in the moment it was annoying, maybe embarrassing. It felt like our parents were over the top, but obviously as a healthy adult who is alive, I'm very grateful. And more importantly, um, a seatbelt saved my life. And I've shared bits here and there, and I'm not quite out of the woods yet. So I won't do a whole episode on it until I'm ready. But some of you also might know that over a year ago in June, 2022, I was in a horrible um, car wreck. I was hit while on the interstate driving 75 miles an hour. I was rear-ended. It's a long story. And because of that, I have suffered a really bad concussion that I actually have still been dealing with. Um, Fingers crossed, we are almost out of the woods, still dealing with a few lingering issues, which I now know is kind of par for the course a year out. But all that to say because I had my seatbelt on, I was able to walk away from that wreck. You know, thank God my parents instilled in me to always wear my seatbelt because it was a perfectly sunny day. It was an interstate in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. It wasn't crowded. You know, there was, again, it's, it's a long story, which I'll share with you at some point, but all that to say, it would have been easy for me to say, ah, I don't need a seatbelt, right? Like the weather's great. It's not crowded. 
you know, I can just hit cruise control and sit at 70, 75 miles an hour to get to point A to point B and everything will be fine. But it wouldn't have because that day I was hit out of nowhere, unexpectedly, never saw it coming and it saved my life. And so again, I'd pose this question to you. Would you let your gymnast drive without their seatbelt? Of course you wouldn't. So why are you letting your gymnast go to practice for three to four or five plus hours a day when she's not eating enough to support her workouts, normal growth and development, repair recovery, cognitive function, and all the things. And I want you to hear me say this with the utmost compassion because it is not easy to be a parent. It's not easy to be a parent. It's not easy to be a coach. It's not easy to be a medical provider because we're dealing with humans, right? And humans have their own thoughts and opinions and preferences. And I know as a parent, you're like, I'm just over here trying to get my kid to brush her teeth and do their homework and get out of bed in the morning and get to bed on time. Like there's a lot of battles that you may currently be having with your kid that to be honest, probably would get easier if they were eating enough and fueling properly, because a lot of that has to do with cognitive performance and attention. But I want to help you reframe. There's two things that are true. And that's actually one of my favorite um, sayings that comes from um, one of the psychologists I work with. Two things are true. One, gymnastics is a privilege. And two, it's your job as a parent to keep them safe. Both of these are true. And ultimately, if your gymnast ends up injured from an underfueling overuse related injury, the reality is that they're not mature enough to make sure that they're eating enough on their own. And so regardless, like because they're a minor, it falls on us as adults. It falls on me as a medical provider. It, it falls on all of us. And I think as another reframe, you know, you pay a ton of money for this sport and you need to protect your investment, right? I mean, parents are easily shelling out, you know, five to 10, 15, $20,000 a year when you hit optional levels and above. And I'm not making up those numbers. I mean, I've had conversations with um, parents in our programs. I've had parents, you know, send us their accounting spreadsheets to show um, the return on investment from, you know, doing our program and how one parent showed us that, you know, when they did our program a year ago, I think at the time the cost of the program was maybe twelve or thirteen hundred dollars, and that was just six percent of their overall gymnastics budget for the year, which I think worked out to be over twenty thousand for a level nine ten gymnast, pretty standard. Um, but amazingly, like because they made that investment, which it was a sacrifice, and they had to fundraise. Um, you can listen more about that in a previous episode about investing in your gymnast nutrition, which we'll link to in the show notes. But all that to say, it's paid off in a huge way. I mean, her kid had an amazing second year level nine season. She's going into her first year level 10. She's crushing it with her upgrades. She's totally ready. Um, and it's only August, right? Which I think most new first year level 10s right now are still panicking. They're trying to get release moves. They're trying to get double flips. They're trying to get the vault. And it's all because this kid's nutrition is top notch. And we have to do certain things to help give our gymnasts the best shot at success, right? You pay a ton of money for the sport. You need to protect your investment. And it's true that no amount of money can guarantee your child a spot on a college team or, you know, guarantee her ticket to the Olympics, but ensuring that she is getting enough nutrition day in, day out to repair and recover. That is something that we can do. Hence nutrition is a controllable. Now I'm not saying it's easy because it's not, 
But one analogy that we use in eating disorder recovery, which shares a lot of the same tenets here, is that if your child had cancer and the medicine they had to take was awful and they fussed and they fought and you hated it, it killed your mama heart to watch them have to suffer, you would still make them take it. You would still make sure they took every last drop if that's what the doctor prescribed because that could be the one shot at saving their life. And so we have to view adequate fueling through the same lens. Obviously it's not as extreme. It's not necessarily as life or death, but it certainly can be make or break in terms of your gymnast career, her reaching her big goals and dreams or not, and also her health. I mean, let's be honest, serious health complications can occur from under fueling. I mean, I know kids at 11, 12 year old having major surgeries, you know, that comes with a lot of risk because we've been training 20 to 25, 30 hours a week for, for years and under fueling. And now we are injured, right? Which again, you can listen on other episodes of this podcast. Not every injury is related to nutrition. Uh, but again, a lot of the ones I'm talking about here, the stress reactions, the stress reaction, stress fractures, stress reactions, stress fractures, stress reactions, poorly healing injuries. I'd argue a lot of the growth plate injuries, um, things like elbow and knee OCD. I mean, all of those have a root in underfueling because these are also injuries that happen as your gymnast body is trying to grow and develop. And if it's not getting enough nutrition to grow and develop, it's not getting enough to repair and recover. And so I want to share with you a little bit of some of the work that I do with gymnasts who have eating disorders, not to say that your kid has an eating disorder if they're not eating enough. I mean, it certainly is possible, but some of the same principles that we use in practice is also some of the same approach I use depending on the situation. So the gold standard for nutritional therapy in eating disorders right now for adolescents is something called FBT or family-based therapy. And the nutrition component of that is the plate-by-plate approach. And I use a lot of these concepts when helping underfueled gymnasts get weight restored, get caught up with growth and get recovered. And so there's three phases to this. Phase one is where the parent takes over all control. They are in charge of all meals, all snacks. And we teach something called emotion-focused coaching, where we give parents the tools and the language to de-escalate the situation where you know, you serve your gymnast dinner, they take two bites, they say they're full, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way that you're full. This is not enough food, but you're telling me that you're full. You're telling me that you can't eat anymore. You're telling me that you feel nauseous. And so what am I supposed to do? So phase one is certainly the hardest phase. Some parents get on board with this faster than others. I think a lot of that has to do with your parenting style and just your own experience with food. Um, If we're really struggling, this is where I'll often loop in one of my adolescent psychologists who's also trained in eating disorders. Again, not saying that's because why we're having the issue with your kid, but simply because it's, it's the same kind of practice approach. Also in phase one, we may need to regulate exercise and it kills me anytime I have to reduce practice hours for a gymnast because they are medically unsafe. Um, but sometimes that's just what has to be done. And that right there, I think is another huge struggle for a lot of parents for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think number one, you're paying a lot of money for this, right? So me telling you that your kid can't go as many days a week or has to cut back on the hours. I mean that, you know, it makes sense that you might just have some financial objections to begin with. Um, but then also as a parent, you know, gymnastics is probably what your kid loves and, you know, it's going to hurt you to see them hurt and to see them upset But I think what you have to remind yourself is it's also going to hurt your mama heart if they're injured and on the sidelines and struggling because 
you didn't set a strong enough boundary with them fueling their bodies. Once we get through this phase, which honestly doesn't take super long, we get to phase two. And that's where, you know, you're still in charge of all the nutrition, you're plating their meals, plating their snacks. Um, Hopefully we're back in the gym full time. We don't have any restrictions. Hopefully we're recovered from any sort of injury. And then this is where we can start to let the gymnasts kind of dabble with taking some ownership, obviously with supervision. And that certainly depends on their age and kind of developmental readiness. And then phase three, which might be a couple years later, again, depending how old your kid is. Phase three is where your gymnast can independently make the choices that they need to ensure they're getting the nutrition to support their training and recovery. And this is my goal for all the gymnasts we work with, especially those who have dreams of doing college gymnastics or doing elite gymnastics, because they're going to be gone from you as a parent more often than not. And they have to know how to fuel their bodies. They have to know, you know, whether or not they're getting enough nutrition. They have to know, you know, what it feels like to be properly fueled. That way they can be in tune with their body so that, you know, let's say they transition to college freshman year and all of a sudden they're walking around campus all day and they have a crazy class schedule and training schedule and lifting schedules schedule and tutoring. And they have all this stuff that all of a sudden they're having a hard time getting enough food, which is actually a very common thing. Um, instead of just letting that go and their performance starting to tank injuries happening, you know, your gymnast will know what it feels like to be properly fueled and they'll notice, Oh, wow. I'm not recovering. Well, I'm not feeling my best in the gym. I'm more sore. I don't have my power. Like, Hmm, I'm not getting enough nutrition. Okay. What do I need to do? And who do I need to ask uh, for help from now? Obviously phase one sounds pretty scary, especially if you have an older gymnast in terms of, you know, the parent having to take all control. And this isn't always, you know, the situation, which again, it depends what's going on. It depends if it's just, you know, unintentional underfueling versus disordered eating. Um, but even in situations where it's not disordered eating, but anxiety is at play, you know, that that's a problem in and of itself. And I work with a lot of high level gymnasts who, you know, they won't eat breakfast or they can't eat breakfast before practice because they feel nauseous because they're anxious because they're worried about how hard practice is going to be. They're worried about getting yelled at. There's abusive coaching going on. And that to me right there, like that's a red flag. Like that is a problem in the gym that to be honest, I don't think you should be subjecting your child to because if the coaching and if whatever's going on is that bad, that they're so nauseous that they can't eat, like, uh, that that's, that's going to need psychological support, not just, um, nutritional. I have had to tell parents, and I often do this regularly that you have to set boundaries with your gymnasts. Again, gymnastics is a privilege. And that means we don't go to school until you finish your breakfast you are not leaving this car until you finish your snack. Now, obviously it is totally unfair if you try to pull this, you know, while you're giving your child food that they don't like, you know, you're not allowed to do this with the broccoli. That's, that's not fair. But if you bring your gymnast a snack before practice, and you know that this snack is something that they regularly eat and enjoy. And for some reason, you know, they take a couple bites and they refuse to eat the rest. It's your job as a parent to keep them safe. It's your job to put your foot down and say, you're not walking into that gym until you finish the snack, because it's my job as a parent to keep you safe. And this is the food that your body needs to give you energy. And even just me saying that, you know, some of you may not like to hear it because it it sounds pretty harsh and um, it definitely goes against a lot of what I've been taught, you know, as a dietitian and, you know, to be honest, all of these concepts that we're talking about, I really wrestled with for a long time because I was like, wait a second, 
you know, should you even do that? Are you going to cause your child harm? Are you going to cause issues with their appetite? Like it just seems wrong, but it's not. And again, if you go back and listen to episode 58, we talk a lot about kind of this confusion between intuitive eating versus fueling for performance. And there's just going to be more times than not that your gymnast needs nutrition and they're maybe not hungry for it or not hungry at that time, but it's like, well, too bad because there's not another time, right? Like I get that you're not hungry at 7 a.m., but when you're about to go train from eight to noon or eight to one, eating breakfast before training for four to five hours is non-negotiable. Like we have to give your body the nutrition it needs to restart that repair recovery process, to fuel into that workout and to keep you safe, uh, both physically and cognitively. And if you're listening to this and your skin is crawling (laughs) and you're squirming in your seat and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to turn this off. This sounds awful. You're not alone, right? Like this process is not always fun. Um, I will say a lot of parents struggle and it's really hard to say no to your child, especially when you're just as invested in their gymnastics as they are. But at the same time, I would argue that it's just as hard to watch your kids struggle at the gym, to be miserable while injured, to endure pain and suffering, which comes along with injuries and could also include tons of time off, surgery, physical therapy, missed school, missed work, right? Like there's a lot of other things that are awful that we could do and prevent if we set a boundary and make sure our gymnasts are getting the nutrition they need to have the best chance of success in and out of the sport. And the good news is, honestly, it doesn't take long for your gymnast to get on board, for their body to adjust, for things to kind of wake back up, for their appetite to adjust, their stomach to adjust. And then more importantly, when they start to see performance improvements in the gym, when they recognize how much more energy they have, when they feel more strength and power, when they're not dying at the end of their routines, when they're able to spin circles around their teammates, that's where the buy-in comes in. And it's kind of like when they talk about you know, action versus motivation. And people will often sit around waiting to become motivated. And that's not how it works. You have to first take action. And from that breeds the motivation to keep going, right? It's just like this podcast. We have been doing this for over a year. I have been recording an episode every single week and it took action to get started. I mean, sure. I was motivated in the sense that I wanted a podcast, but it was scary. It was hard to put myself out there. I had to buy the equipment. I had to learn all these new skills. I was worried about what people would say. You know, there was a lot of barriers and it took action first to then breathe the motivation. And so it's the same thing. It might be uncomfortable at first, especially, you know, it might be new for you to hold a boundary with your child in this way, But I think reminding yourself that you're doing what you need to, to protect them, to keep them safe, to help give them what they need to be successful, that at the end of the day will hopefully win out any of these feelings um, of that you're doing something wrong or harmful, or, you know, you're making them suffer in a way that is unnecessary, which is not true. It is very necessary to make sure that your gymnast is getting what they need to grow and develop, repair, recover, and adapt to their training. So with that, I hope you find this episode encouraging. Um, There's a lot that we could talk about. Um, There's a lot more psychology we can get into. A lot of this is what we teach inside the Balanced Gymnast Program because it's one thing to know how to build meals and snacks for your gymnast. It's another thing to know how to communicate about nutrition. And it's another thing to be able to troubleshoot the issues that we've talked about today. 
And I just want to let you know that you are doing a great job. The fact that you're listening to this podcast as a parent tells me that you care about your gymnast. You care about their nutrition. You want to see them succeed. And just know that if you are struggling right now, I'd love it if you would reach out for help and support. I'd be happy to help point you in the right direction. Um, and just know it can, it can get easier. So with that, I will talk to you guys on another episode. Bye for now.